So tonight we want to begin in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. And tonight, if I had to say what, what would be the theme of this passage of Scripture, it would be the power of love. And, and we all know that love is powerful. It's powerful in our lives. When we are in love, when we are loved, we know how powerful love is. Love can, can lift us, it can refresh us, it can revive us, it can, it can totally change our perspective on life and everything we're going through when, when we love. In fact, even the, even the pain that we go through can somehow be subsided by love. I don't know whether you heard about the, uh, this experiment that they did. But they had hooked up these, these folks to like a pain meter and they, they induced pain and they, they gave them different images to look at as this pain would come physically uh, into their body. And when they put up a picture of one that they loved, even though uh, it was the same pain as maybe other pictures that they would observe, that their brain would not communicate that the pain was as severe as they were looking at someone that they loved or someone that they knew loved them as much as they did at other times. It just, it reminds us that, that you know, love is going to affect us physically. We know that when we are in love. Uh, we know that it affects us emotionally and we know that it affects us spiritually. And so tonight, John is writing us about the power of love. And we ended a couple weeks ago in verse 16 of chapter 4, again just reminding us that this whole letter of 1 John was written to encourage us to lock arms with God and to walk in fellowship with Him. To, in a sense, go through life near to His heart. And the reason being, John now tells us, is because the closer we walk with God, hopefully the more we will begin to unpack throughout our life in a positive way the knowledge of His love for us, the under, deeper understanding of His love for us, even the acceptance of His love for us that will empower our lives. In fact, John says in 1 John four seventeen, by this love is perfected with us. By, by the fact that I walk arm in arm with God in fellowship with Him, His love for me, His love in me is perfected. It, that, that word simply means we are led to the goal that God intended for His love to lead us to. There's a finish line. There's a completion mark. And that when we walk with God, that the more, again, we understand how crazy He is about us, how much He loves us, our life will be brought to closer and closer to the finish line, to the goal that God has for every human being. God created us so that we might be loved by Him and understand that at its very deepest level. And so notice he goes on to write this, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears punishment 
has not been perfected in love. Now, I don't know if we're going to get any further than that tonight. So I just wanted to read that and let's see how far we go. Back to verse 17. I want to approach this passage a little bit differently from a different angle than many people apply this passage. I want to look at it more every day than just way out there. And the reason I say that is because in verse 17 when he says, By this, walking arm in arm with God, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Sorry, I'm just getting over a sinus infection and I can tell my voice is going already. Let's talk about the day of judgment, first of all. Many people, when they come to that phrase in 1 John, they're either taught or they automatically go to some distant time in the future where we may be standing before God, giving an evaluation of our life, and being rewarded for the way we have lived our Christian life. I'm not saying that that's wrong to look at it that way. But I think there's so much more, such a wider application here that John is trying to make. The Greek word for judgment there is the word crisis, only spelled with a K rather than a C like it is in English. It literally means a separating. And I think what John is saying to us is not just in the some distant future day, but any time you and I are in crisis, if you will, that we are going through a difficult, hard time. One of the things that we can do, even as Christians, is we will allow our minds to go to this place. That when we go through a hard time, one of the things that we can do, if if God's love has not been perfected in us, if we've not come far enough down the road, here's where we go. God's punishing me for something. God's getting me back. Or something that that everything was going well in my life and now boom here's a day of judgment or crisis things aren't going well and all of a sudden when I'm not to- totally understanding God's love for me one of the things that can even consume our minds and maybe occupy our minds is wonder what I've done wrong that God's punishing me for here Wonder what he's getting me back for. We, we might even go back to some sin way in the past and, and, and feel guilt about, oh my goodness, it finally caught up with me. God must be allowing me to go through this because of that. And John says, when we are at that point in our walk with God, we need to walk a little bit further with God and we need to walk a little bit closer to God because if we truly understood his love one of the things John said is we would have confidence in that day and and that phrase to have confidence in literally means that we are all in that, that we are holding nothing back even in the hard times because For for many people even, you know, we can be all in, totally committed, totally devoted to God when everything in our life is going well. But many times, even as Christians, when things begin to go south, we can pull back from our commitment. We can pull back from our devotion. We're no longer all in. 
Um, when I was thinking about how to describe this, sort of like, you know, if you, if you play cards and you get to that point where you say, I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm, I'm putting it all on the table. That's what that phrase, have confidence in the day of judgment, means. That I get to a point because I'm truly understanding, grasping, and accepting God's love for me, that I am all in and holding nothing back, whether my life is going well or whether my life is not going well, I'm still all in. Because I know that even in those days when things aren't going well, it's not that God has ceased to love me. It's not that God is punishing me for something, as we're going to go on and see here in 1 John chapter 4. In fact, as we read on there, notice what he says at the end of verse 17. Because just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Don't miss that. John is saying that just as God the Father looked at the Son, that's the way God the Father looks at us. Just as Jesus was in this world and how God related to Him, That's how our Heavenly Father relates to us. We are in Christ. We are part of Christ's body. We are one with Christ. We are united with Christ. So for God to look at us, He's looking through His Son. He's looking at us as His Son. That's why even Jesus could say to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus when Saul accepted Uh, you know, understood finally who Jesus was and, and became a believer in Christ and went from Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the preacher, was when Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul said, you know, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting this thing called the church. And, and Jesus was reminding Saul, it's one and the same. If you're persecuting my people, You're touching me. You're touching the apple of my eye. We're one and the same. And that's what John is saying here. That we have to realize that God loves us so very much. In in fact, keep your finger there in 1 John. I know we've touched on this passage, but I just want to hit it one more time because I just think it's too important not to. I want to go back to the book of Ephesians again, to that passage in chapter 3. Because you can't talk about the love of God and not think about Ephesians chapter 3. And remember, what John is saying here, here's, here's where he's saying, he's saying, when you and I walk closer and closer with God and longer and longer with God, one of the things that should come out of that fellowship is a growing understanding and knowledge and acceptance of how much God loves me. And that that love will be a power in my life. In fact, it will empower me to put everything in, to hold nothing back in my life with God and the way I live my life for God, whether things are going bad or things are going good. Because I'm not going to pull back thinking somehow when things are going bad that God doesn't love me or he's punishing me or anything. Because what John is saying is that betrays a lack of true understanding of how God looks at me and what his love is like for me. That's why Paul penned this passage in Ephesians 3.14 when he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
I pray that according to the wealth of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person, an inner strength. Why do I need an inner strength? Because life isn't always easy. As Brian was reminding us about the McCrays, and many of you in this room, I know you have went through some real trials here lately. Why does God want me to have inner strength? So that I can stand up to those trials and so I can put all in and hold nothing back even when the trials come. I'm just as committed to Christ. I'm just as faithful to Christ. I'm just as much in love with Christ in the bad times as I am the good because I know God is crazy about me. And even though I'm going through these hard times, He still loves me. And there's a purpose of why he's allowing this to happen in my life. In fact, it's probably even a manifestation of his love that I'm going through this, as we're going to talk about in a minute. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been, noticed rooted and grounded in love. Wow. There's a power there. There's a stability there. When we know others love us, when others know we love them, there's a stability there. There's a, you know, I know what we're going through is hard, but we're going to go through this together. And there's something strong about that. That's the way it should be with Christians. That I don't maybe know even and understand why God's allowing me to go through this, but I know this, God loves me with an everlasting love, and we're going to walk through this together because God loves me. Verse 18 you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth of God's love. What is the breadth of God's love? Well, notice up in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul's mission was to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan. Everyone. The breadth is everyone. The breadth is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the breadth. Everyone. Anyone. Then notice, not only does he want me to begin to comprehend what is the breadth of his love, but what is the length of his love. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 7. Paul says, he wants to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The length of His love is that throughout all the ages, forever, into eternity, a million years from now, a billion years from now, God's still going to love us as much then as He does now. And eternity, one of the things eternity is going to be, is going to be a forever age where the universe realizes just how much God loved us as His children. And maybe how much we under, begin to understand truly how much God loves us. Then notice, He wants us to begin to comprehend, verse 18, what is the height of His love. Well, notice in chapter 2, verse 6, this height. That He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ. You can't get any higher than that. That, that His love has raised us up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. That's pretty high. See, when, when we go through hard times, when we begin to 
to bow our head and get discouraged and, and lower our countenance and everything because we're allowing the circumstances of our life to weigh us down. We need to let the love of God raise us up and realize that in Christ we've already, already in God's mind and from God's perspective been raised up to the very highest heights that we can go in this universe. And then Paul says, I want you to begin, Ephesian Christians, to understand and comprehend the depth of God's love. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, that the Bible says, even though we were dead in transgressions, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Folks, it doesn't get any lower than that. The Bible says we were dead. It, you can't get any, any lower than that. And yet the Bible says God's love reached down to you and I while we were sinners and while we were dead in our transgressions and he made us alive. He, he quickened us. He, he enlivened us. He brought us, in a sense, back to life spiritually through the life that we have in Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for us. And he raised us from the lowest depths to the highest heights throughout all of the ages this is what Paul's talking about here. And notice verse 19 of chapter 3. And thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you and I as Christians may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As I've said throughout this study, the reason why God wants me to walk in fellowship with him is so that I will begin to understand and comprehend and accept just how much He loves me. Because God knows that when I truly begin to understand how much He loves me, that love will be a power in my life. It will empower me to be rooted and grounded and stable and strengthened that no matter what comes my way, I will be able to go through it knowing that every step of the way, God loves me and it's going to be His love for me that continues to strengthen me every step of the way to get me through the struggles that I go through in life. Back to 1 John. That's why in verse 18, John says, There is no fear in love. The Greek word for fear is the word phobos, where we get our word phobia from, that literally means dread or terror. And God wants his children to get over, to, to come to a place in their life where they get over the fact that they've got to have this unhealthy fear of him, where it's like everything that I do, I'm afraid of God in an unhealthy way. That I think that, that again, that if I, if I do something wrong, he's just up there ready to whack me and fry me. Or that when I do go through some trial in my life, he must be getting me back and taking out his, his anger and frustration on me. That's why he's allowing me to go through. No, John says, when we grow to truly understand God's love for us, there will be no fear of lo in love. In fact, he says perfect love, a love, again, that is brought to its intended goal, to its completion, will actually drive out fear. It will let go of fear. Because notice he goes on to say in verse 18, because this fear always has to do with punishment. I'm always thinking God's punishing me or I'm, I'm 
I'm having to pay a penalty for something. And I love this phrase that he uses. He says in verse 18, because fear has to do with punishment. It's a great phrase. I love the word that's used there in the Greek language. It's the word echo. And what I love about that, it's a very descriptive word. Just like an echo, it, it, it's always something playing in the background. And, and I, I might not even hear it clearly, whatever that echo is, but it's always back there. That's the way many Christians live their lives because they never grow in their understanding of God's love for them or really accept God's love for them. And so always playing in the background of their mind throughout their lives is God's going to punish me for something. Or that I always go through life with this, with this fear that God's going to whack me and get me back and any hard time that I go through must be a time where God finally said, now, now I'm going to get you for what you've done. And John says, no. No. That, that when we think like that, when we live like that, we have not walked with God long enough, close enough, to truly understand His heart and how much He loves us. Going back to Ephesians 3, we have not come to in any way, shape, or form comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth that God has for us so that we are filled up with God's love and so that we are rooted and grounded. See, if I'm always going through life, even as a Christian, doubting God's love for me, then I lack stability. I lack the stability that God wants me to have. I mean, that's true in a human relationship. How unstable are human relationships when one person in a friendship or a marriage or whatever truly doubts whether the other one's all in or not? Do they really love me? Will they really stick by me through everything? You see, relationships where both friends or both spouses or both parties are all in, holding nothing back, there's a strength there. And they're not afraid when hard times come because they might not know how they're going to get through it, but they do know one thing. We're going to get through it together. And if we go down, we're going down together, but we're going to do it together. That's what God wants us as his children to have that kind of mentality. First of all, if we're with God, we're not going down. Because the Bible says that we always triumph in Christ. And Jesus Christ is not a loser. He's a winner. And, and so we just need to have the mentality that when we go through life, that we're going to go through this with God and his love for us. And God doesn't want us to have this playing around in the background of our mind that God is always punishing us and penalizing us every time something bad happens in my life. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 18, the one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. We need to grow in love in our understanding, comprehension, and acceptance of God's love so that we won't live another day, another week, another month, another year living life with that playing in the background. In fact, when it comes to this whole idea of punishment, by us even having those thoughts, it really shows that we really have not come to totally grasp the gospel. 
of what Jesus did for us when he did come to Bethlehem and then go to the cross. So keep your finger there in 1 John and let me take you to a passage that I love in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. This is a messianic passage of Scripture, meaning that much of what Isaiah the prophet was writing was not only going to be in some ways fulfilled in the present or near future, but also had a far fulfillment. Many times prophecies had a dual fulfillment. Some of it was fulfilled in that time or just soon after, but much of it looked down to history and was talking about the Lord. And Isaiah 53 is one of those passages. And notice what he says about what the Lord did. I want to just pick it up in these verses. The whole, the whole chapter is awesome, but for our sake tonight, verse 3 is where I'll start. He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised, and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses, He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. Don't miss verse 5. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds. He was crushed because of our sins. And don't miss this. He endured punishment that made us well. And because of his wounds, we have been healed. Hallelujah. You see, the reason why I don't have to fear punishment from God is because if I understand the mission of Christ and the gospel of Christ, I understand that Jesus Christ on the cross took my punishment for me. I will never face punishment or penalty for anything I've done because when I accept Christ, I am in Christ. And by accepting Christ, I am saying, Christ Thank you. Thank you for taking what I deserved because you were sinless, but you were willing to take my punishment. And when Jesus took my punishment, folks, you and I never will. We will never be punished or penalized for our sins. That fell on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. That's part of the reason why John says in 1 John, we need to grow in what we understand Because if we still feel like, I'm being punished, I'm being penalized, then we really haven't come to understand that God took all my sin and all the consequences and all that, and He took my punishment for me. He took it for me. That's love. That's love. Now, I do want to say this at this point, because a lot of Christians don't make the distinction. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. In the New Testament now, back to Hebrews chapter 12. There is an aspect where God does discipline His children when we're disobedient and need correction. But discipline is different than punishment. Punishment is this punitive thing where, 
where someone is, is taking out their anger and frustration and all of that. Discipline is where I love someone enough to correct them because I know that the way they're going or the choices they're making or the path that they're taking is actually self-destructive. And I love them too much to see them continue to go that way. So I'm going to discipline them, if you will, to bring them back to where it's best for them. See, someone that really loves will discipline And that's exactly what God does to us. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 7. Endure your suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you do not experience discipline, something all sons have shared in, then you are illegitimate and are not sons. Besides, we have experienced discipline from our earthly fathers and we respected them. Shall we not submit ourselves all the more to the father of spirits and receive life for they disciplined us for a little while as seemed good to them but he does so for our benefit that we may share his holiness that's why god disciplines it's not punishment it's discipline and it's discipline because he loves us now the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, now all discipline seems painful at the time. I mean, the, the, the discipline, the correction that God may take us through is not, oh God, thank you, this is fun. No. But he's saying the result is going to be beneficial. He says, notice, later, later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness For those who are willing to be trained by it. So God does discipline. Now let me also say this. And you can go back to 1 John. That also though doesn't mean, so don't don't go this far to mean that everything bad that happens in my life, every painful suffering circumstance then must be God's discipline. No. But what the Bible does teach is that I'll probably know when I'm being disciplined. Because if I am a child of God and I know I've clearly been disobedient to what God has said, then in a sense I can expect discipline from my heavenly father just as much as Jeff Royce could expect discipline from his earthly father when I knew my dad said, Jeff, don't do that. And I went, I'm going to do it anyway. Somehow when I got home, I shouldn't be like, oh, dad, I can't believe you're disciplining me for that. No, I knew it was coming because I knew what I had done was wrong. And I knew that I had totally disregarded what my parents asked me to do. And like the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, listen, as human parents, you, know, you, you try to discipline your children to correct them, to bring them up in, in, in the right way, to teach them right and all of that. But we make mistakes as parents. Because even the best parents are still human. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says that's why we need to submit to God. Because God makes no mistakes when he disciplines. He disciplines just the right way. At just the right time. At just the right length. Again, not because he doesn't love us, but actually because he does. In fact, you and I will know when we are maturing and growing in Christ. Whenever as a Christian... 
we can be suffering in a sense the discipline of God and we can get to a place where we thank God that he loves me enough to discipline me. To bring that pain into my life because God thank you enough that you just didn't let me go down that road of self-destruction that you tried to bring me back and get me back where I needed to be for my own sake and for the sake of others. God thank you enough for loving me that much to discipline me. Back to First John. That's why, again, he writes at the end of verse 18, the one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. See, if I've truly gotten to the point where I really begin to comprehend God's love for me, that I will place myself in God's hands, whether it's discipline or, or whether it's just some trial that I'm going through, Because again, I'm rooted and grounded in God's love for me. I know that he loves me with an everlasting love. No one will ever love me more than God. No one will ever love me longer than God. And God's love for me will never be less than it is right now or more than it is right now. His love is an unconditional love. And the knowledge of God's love that is revealed in the Bible should strengthen me in my inner person to be able to face whatever life brings to the point where I can grow again to be all in, to hold nothing back with God in the good times or in the bad. In fact, notice in verse 19, John says, We love because He loved us first and the fact that he loved us first means that his love was absolutely complete in the past but also continues forever that in the greek language this is a love that is complete but it never ends either it it goes on throughout the ages throughout eternity You see, you and I, as God's children, will never get to a point where God will say, I don't love you anymore. Never. And there's nothing we could ever say or ever do to make God love us any less. Which is why the Word of God is so strong about the fact that works and what we do as human beings can never somehow merit God's love. Because there's nothing we can ever do to make God love love us any less, there's also then on the flip side of that logic, nothing we could ever do to make God love us more. His love is complete and it continues forever. And and that's why then John wants to lay this foundation because now he's going to call us back to loving others. And his whole reason for doing that is I'm not going to love others. I'm not going to lay down my life for others. I'm not going to sacrifice for others truly until I begin to truly understand how much God loves me. But when Christians have walked with God long enough and close enough in fellowship with him to begin to get just how crazy God is about them, then you will see Christians on fire to love others. Because they're secure 
in, their, in the love that God has for them. And they're not going through life thinking, oh, God's going to punish me for something. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going through this hard time because he's finally, he's finally getting me back for that sin I committed 20 years ago. No. Remember Isaiah 53. Jesus took that punishment on the cross for you and me. We never have to fear punishment. John says, if I'm still fearing punishment, the end of verse 18, I've not been perfected in love. I've not come to that point yet in my life where I'm truly absorbing just how much God loves me. But when I do, then verse 19, I'm going to begin to love others. Because the love of God has so, back to Ephesians 3, filled me up to all the fullness of God that my love then and my life just becomes living this overflow of how much God loves me and I'm sharing it with others. That's why God wants us to be filled up with His love. Because He understands that only when we're filled up with His love will we stop looking to others to somehow fill this void that only He can fill. And stop using people rather than loving people. And stop manipulating people and, and building relationships only for what we can get out of people rather than giving and laying down our lives. In fact, that's why He goes on in verse 20 to say, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his fellow Christian, he's a liar. Because the one who does not love his fellow Christian whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now remember, going back up to verse 17 at the end, just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. That we are in Christ. We are part of Christ. We are all, as Christians, in His one body. And so what John is saying in verse 20 is, I can't divide Christ up. I, I can't compartmentalize this like I want to in my life many times. I, I can't go over here and say, yeah, I love God, and then be over here just crucifying another Christian. Because I've got to understand this picture in my mind. That all Christians make up the body of Christ. And so picture, in a sense, the physical body of Christ, if you will, for just a moment to illustrate this point. It would be like when I'm hurting a fellow Christian, when I'm attacking a fellow Christian, when I'm hating, which literally means pursuing even a Christian for, for negative means, that it would be like me taking a fork, if you will, and driving it into the hand of Jesus himself. And saying, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus saying, uh, that hurts me. Because they're part of my body. And if you're hurting my body, you're hurting me. We can't separate the two. That's why he says, you and I can't. We again have to come to an understanding here, John says. That even though we try to compartmentalize things and divide things up, God sees a unity here. And we've got to remember, as Christians, we are in Christ. 
All of us make up his body, 1 Corinthians 12. Read the passage. All of us as Christians have been placed into the body of Christ. That's why he goes on to say, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, whatever. We're all in the body of Christ. So when we hurt each other, we're causing Christ pain. Just like, again, even in our body, we can't say, you know, not, I'm not hurting myself whenever I'm driving a fork or something into my hand. It's going to hurt. And I can't separate the pain that's in my hand from the rest of my body because it's attached to my body. It's part of me. And so John says, we've got to come to that understanding. We prevent a lot of the behavior that we see within the body of Christ when we begin to understand when we hurt one another in the body, we're hurting and grieving and paining Christ. See, life is not divisible. And God's Word is not divisible. We, we can't divide it up and just choose the parts we like and throw the parts out that we don't like. I used to say, back when this commercial was on years ago, so I'm dating myself, we can't have a Burger King religion have it your way where we go through the the line of the Word of God or like a buffet or an all-you-can-eat and go, I like that part, I'll I'll, I'll pick that part out. I like that. Oh, I don't like that. I'm going to throw it away. And that's why John says in verse 21 of 1 John 4, and the commandment we have from him is this, that the one who loves God should love his fellow Christian too. Because I can't compartmentalize. I just can't. God won't let me. God won't let me say, over here, I love you, God, while I'm hurting a brother or sister in Christ. Because they're part of his body. And if I hurt them, I hurt Christ. And I think this also goes back to, though, when I really understand how much God loves me, how much he's forgiven me, how much punishment He took on the cross so that I never had to go through life fearing punishment or penalty. Maybe I will begin to look at others a little bit differently as well. So, John wants to talk to us here about the power of love. How powerful love is. I hope tonight more than anything else, that you and I will once and for all begin to understand, to comprehend, to grasp, to accept just how much God loves us. To let that love fill us up completely. Not look to anyone or anything else in this world, but to let the love that God has for us fill us completely up. So that we can begin to see the love that God has in our lives bring us to the finish line. Bring us to that goal which is to get to the place where I don't go through life with this unhealthy fear. And I don't go through this life fearing punishment or penalty. 
where I can get to the point in my Christian life, even when things are bad, where I am all in. I'm holding nothing back. I'm out there committed as much to God when things are falling apart in my life as I am when things are all going well. And I'm loving on others as much and hard in the bad times as I am in the good times because I know and I have come to know the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of God's love for me. And this love lets go of or drives out all fear. And there is no fear in my life. There's no fear of today because I know that whatever I go through today, God's love is surrounding me. God's love is in me. God can't love me any more than he ever has, any less than he ever will. His love will carry me throughout all the ages of eternity. There is nothing today that I can face because God loves me. And I can face tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year and the next decade because I know that whatever comes my way, God and I are going to get through it. Because he's never going to let go. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. He's always going to love me. He's crazy about me. He's crazy about you. And that love, God wants to empower us. As as Paul said, to, to strengthen the inner man. So that we are so strong. And we never get to where the doubts of God's love for us consume us. Oh, they're they're still going to come every once in a while because we're human. God understands that. God doesn't want us to live there or dwell there. God wants us to refocus back on what the truth is. And that's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. God wants us to live in freedom And part of that freedom is living in freedom of fear. Fear of punishment. Fear of penalty. There's a lot of Christians who still, when something bad happens in their life, they might not say it, but you're thinking it. God, what are you getting me back for? Are you getting me back for that? You know why I know that? I've done it too. I had to grow. I had to mature. I, I had to allow God's love to bring me to a different place where my concept of God was not this angry, vengeful, wrathful God that was up there just ready to knock me upside my head every time I did something wrong. And if I did do something wrong, He would discipline me. But it was out of love and it was to correct me for my own good. But it was never to punish me. It was never like I had to pay any kind of penalty. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross for me. Remember Isaiah 53. When we come into the Christmas season, Christmas doesn't end with a baby being born in Bethlehem. Because the Bible teaches us he was born to die. That's why he came. He came as a baby so that one day he could grow 
to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God that loved you and I enough to take all the punishment of all of our sin of all time on Himself and said, God, bring it on. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Let's pray. God, I, I, I just want to acknowledge that there is no way that I could ever articulate Your love for, for us. I have made a very feeble attempt tonight to share Your love with all of these folks here tonight. But God, I pray that your spirit would go way beyond my limitations and all of that, God, and that you would communicate to all these folks here tonight in a way that only you as God can do, just how much you love them. May they right now, where they're sitting here in this auditorium, just begin to sense just how much you God, love them. And that that thought would lead to a life spent walking closely in fellowship with You to the point, Lord, where the love that You have for us is bringing us to this goal, this perfection, this completion, where we truly don't fear anything. Because whatever life brings our way, even if it's terrible, we're going to get through it. Because it's going to be you and me, God. And your love is never going to let me go. And even if I'm going through the hardest time of my life, you don't love me any less now than you ever did. And you can love me no more now than you ever will. God, may each of us tonight leave this place being empowered by your love. Truly, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, to be rooted and grounded in love. To be strengthened by this love and the knowledge of this love in the very innermost parts of our being. So that we could leave here in confidence and not in fear. And even say, okay, life, bring it on. God, there's nothing that you and I will ever face that we can't get through together. Thank you, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Thanks for being here.